Hello, and welcome to Local Legends. I'm Chi, outdoor fitness coach, and I am your host. Local Legends is a conversation with passionate cyclists who impact riding in Southern California, and specifically, San Diego. Here comes my next local legend. All right, welcome to uh, Local Legends, and today is going to be a special episode as I go through and do a little highlight of this past year, and I'm joined with my husband, who's going to help me with explaining the this last year. Yeah, so I guess I'm going to be doing some of the interviewing. Um, yeah, so it's just over um, a year since you started with the Local Legends podcast series um, with, uh, I think, Victor Sheldon being your first guest. Yep. So... Um, What's the general response to these been from the local biking community? Um, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. And it's been really fun to um, meet people and see people and then tell me either by text or in person on how much they enjoy the podcast and how they look forward to um, the next episodes. Um, I went on a ride Actually, it was during the Filthy 50, a pre-ride, and a woman came up to me, and I and I just was riding with her, and she was like, oh, I listened to your podcast, and it was just kind of um, fun to know that it's reaching people that I don't even know, and um, I think we start to see how connected everybody is, and I think it's reaching a lot more people from all disciplines of riding, which has also been kind of nice. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, listening to the podcast and then going out and seeing the people that you've met. And yeah. I look at them in a, in a whole different oh, light now. It's like, I have more questions for you. <laughs> yeah, especially Ranger Dave. Yeah, we know, Ranger you, we know Dave. you're out there. Um, so this has been um, a learning curve for you. Yeah. Uh, seeing as this is the first podcast series you've done. Yeah. Um, um, I'm sure you've uh, learned a lot along the way. What What are the biggest surprises? Um, well, I learned really early from Jim Miller. He said, "Ask good questions and pause, and don't be afraid to let don't be afraid to speak during the pauses." And so that was really helpful, just to recognize, to slow down, think about it, and listen. Um, I used to write down a lot of questions prior to my interviews and that almost made things worse um, for me it was actually better just to have a few tidbits of information and just let the just conversation let it, let it flow, flow. Mm -hmm. and it's really scary to do it that way because you don't really have any like safety net in a way you don't in case you run out mm -hmm. of questions but this never happens so um, that's been fun and before I started I was nervous because um, I made a comment early on that I never really spoke up a lot when I was little. And I think what ended up happening as I'm doing this is that even though I didn't speak, I learned to listen really well and read people. So in some ways, <clears throat> I think that has also been a strength as I um, have done um, 20 plus um, interviews just by listening and reading people better. So along those lines, any really big surprises along the way? Um, yeah, sometimes, and I guess some of the guests, I knew their accomplishments. And so part of me was like untangling their story. And then I think some of the surprises was not knowing their accomplishments and learning about them as they were saying them and like, having them share things um, and trust me and say things that I, I thought really made the story even more powerful. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I was more surprised by my guests than I initially thought. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest surprises for me listening to you go through this journey is is I never realized how much you oh. like puffins. 
yeah, I do love puffins. You do love puffins. Um, so what, one of the interesting um, kind of side series that you have going on is your mic check series where yeah. you kind of turn the mic inward yeah. and you've interviewed uh, the girls and, you know, how they have been interwoven with your biking um, journey and also um, on you and myself and mm -hmm. how we bike as a couple. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you feel about the mic checks? Um, it might be more of a personal thing. Um, I really like it because I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are writers themselves and have, you know, their own, um, I don't want to say pains, but like, you know, um, issues and situations that are unique to, you know, um, different parts in your life, whether it's, you know, being a single mom or having friends at ride. And so I just want to put the veil down and let people kind of see how I, you know, another approach or just to have a deeper conversation about more of the behind the scenes training that what happens. And so um, <clears throat> it's, I've also had that positive, positively received. And I think the one with the girls was, I got a lot of people send me really beautiful texts about how that was a big impact. And um, so my goal isn't to make an impact. My, my goal is just to show, share a story. And I, I hope to continue to, to add those. Um, my goal is to do it on every 10th episode is to have something more introspective. Hmm. You've interviewed actually how many people has have you interviewed now um right now there's 19 people i've interviewed and then the two that were the mic checks and i've already and then i have two in the holding bin that i have mm -hmm. yet to release so i was going to ask who's who's up next can, can you reveal yeah i'm really excited guests? um to have nate um nate miller from tasco to be the next guest mm -hmm. nate and i also have nikki peterson so two people that i'm very fond of and um are really big in the community in different ways. So those are my next um, guests coming up. I, I look forward to hearing how, how Nate um, yeah. responds to some of the questions. <laughs> um, you, know, you and I used to both race for his Tasco team. We yeah. have a good history with Nate. Um, so, um, okay. Um, what else? Any other insights you want to share before we wrap this up? Um, I think a couple of fun insights, especially as I went through and, and got some clips from every ride, I mean, sorry, every ride, every interview is how, um, and I didn't realize this, but the stories connect quite readily. So when you hear Victor Sheldon talk about how he started Quick and Dirty, he shares names of people and teams that I heard later on in Leanne's interview mm -hmm. that and then I had never heard before. And so the, there's certain people, certain things that, um, uh, like the web is very o connected and the races and the formats. And, you know, um, you'll hear, um, Brian Scarborough talk about his first race, which was the quick and dirty race. And so it just shows me how, as, as I had already had a belief that this community is very tight and very special. And there's a lot of amazing writers. And I think it's because of the people in the community that put the, put the energy out there. And, um, and then the people that are involved in how that continues to, to spread. So um, I think it's a, it's a really interesting um, a community that we have here mm -hmm. in San Diego in all disciplines. So um, being one year in, uh, you've grown from your first episode and your style has Im 
evolved to. Mm-hmm. Um, let's fast forward from a year uh, to, to a year from now. Uh-huh. How, how do you hope that the series will evolve in the next year? Um, I hope to have more readily um, episodes coming out. Um, I hope to find a way to produce them a little quicker, but still the good quality. So I'm not sure if that means help or I dedicate more time to it. Um, I think there is a real passion behind it, personal passion. And I think that there's uh, opportunity to continue to evolve. I have a lot of guests that I still want to have on the show, Mm -hmm. like almost twice as many as I did when I initially started it. So um, I hope to do that. I don't know what else is down the road, um, but there is an overwhelming um, push for me to do this from, I don't know if it's a greater force, but um, it's something that is deep within me. So I actually look forward to seeing what happens in a year and looking back to this conversation and smiling and seeing what, what's happened. So I'm, mm. I'm excited. Me too. Well, um, well done, babe. I'm proud of you for this. Oh, thank you. I know how much effort this takes and I know people enjoy listening to these uh, podcasts and yeah, uh, and I'm one of them. So thank you. Yay. Well, thank you. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in. And here is a little clip of my last uh, 21 episodes from this last year. Um, so enjoy. And if this is a first time listening to Local Legends, this is probably a really good episode to listen to so you can hear all the different um, guests that um, I've had and some of the fun things that they shared with me. Hey guys, so if you do any gravel racing or have some big goals this year, check out Gravel and Wine. It's coming up January 28th. There's a long version, which is 75 miles and a shorter version around 40 miles. And there are payouts, so you can win some fun stuff. So the different categories are male and female, non-binary and paracycling. Um, This race I did last year was so fun, great way to kick off the season and the food was delicious, followed by some tasty wine. And if you're not a wine drinker, there is beer from Roulaire, so bonus there. You'll see all of your favorite friends there, the people that you normally ride with. Also, it brings out lots of different levels of racing, so you'll see some professionals as well. So very high-level racing, um, all supported. And again, you will get delicious food at the end and delicious wine. Um, Check it out. It's called thegravelandwine.com, and the wine is spelled W-H-I-N-E. And for a discount, put in friends with an S, followed by 20. So friends 20 for a discount code. See you at Gravel and Wine. My first five local legends are those people who make it their mission and their job to create the space and opportunities to get people outside and on their bikes. These guests, these local legends are Victor Sheldon with Quick and Dirty, Michael Marks with Belgium Waffle Ride, Ranger Dave, Susie Murphy with San Diego Mountain Bike Association, and Sprock Kids race you know kind of really getting into mountain bike racing was um i think 2012 at a uh, at a, a team big bear race absolutely and um one of my friends uh vouched for me to race in the cat one division and then tom spiegel um actually then he's like looked at my friend that that helped me get to that point because you have you know when you start out you're supposed to start as a cat you know three, two, and then one. 
but I was like, hey, I just want to go straight straight into the cat one category and see see where I see what see how I fare. Um, and so that was pretty fun. I did it at uh, um, <clears throat> Fontana. Mm. How'd you do? Um, I won my class. All right. I like, won my class, and I think I I, uh, I surprised a lot of guys in my class because I took off and nobody went with me. And they were like, ah, he's going to, you know, blow up. he's going to blow up. <laughs> I never blew up. So, um, Tim Zanzenberg was the, the racer in that category. And, you know, it was pretty funny. You know, he and I are friends now and we, um, you know, we talk about that when, you know, that, that day of that racing. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, and then from there I just, you know, was kind of hooked. So did quick and dirty start? after that then yeah and um how did you structure quick and dirty races and was it the which one came first of all of the races because you have the one day events and then you have a series so we started it my friend kurt jensheimer and i he's also known as the angry uh single speeder ass okay. um he's he was a very um he was pretty he was a local legend here in this community like he was he was definitely had way more um, bike, you know, promotion since than I did. Um, anyway, we ended up meeting each other um, on some weird terms because we wanted to put on a cyclocross race when I worked at Spy Optics for Michael Marks, and Michael Marks was really behind the cyclocross um, movement. So he <clears throat> he put us together with what is it? Uh, it's a Rancho Bike Club. He put us together with Kurt, and Kurt was like, "Hey, I want to, you know, we want to, we want to join forces and put on a cyclocross race." And he wanted to do it one way, and I wanted to do another way. So we were like, we kind of butted heads, you know. Um, and then we ended up becoming partners in our first, you know, first ever quick and dirty mountain bike race, which is pretty ironic because, you know, we have two, we had two different visions, but we ended up overcoming those visions and, and coming together and making a really, really cool spike lacrosse event in uh, at Lake Hodges. People, like five years ago, people were telling me, oh, you have to you have to make it shorter, make it easier for people. It's too hard, people are over it. And so that year, we went from 128 to 146 miles and much more dirt. And I think that was the pivot that really made it something special. Yeah. And if I had listened to everyone, if I had listened to all the voices, the devil saying, just make it easier, just quit. Um, it wouldn't be what it is today, mm -hmm. but making it harder, more challenging, and more special, it's a more exclusive group of people that can yeah. eat that whole waffle. <laughs> and um, I think that's what makes it special, is that it requires a lot to finish. Yeah. I want that job. So I knew as Aww. a young uh man that I wanted to be a park ranger. I, I wanted even, you know, before, so before I even graduated high school, I knew I wanted to be a park ranger. So honestly, this job, it, it's the job I always wanted to have. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and it's, I think that's a, it's a, a real rarity these days yeah. that you're actually doing the job that you want to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that yeah. comes up that yeah. you don't want to deal with, but the job in its essence and, and what, what park rangers are set out to do, which is resource protection. Mm -hmm. For me, that was, that was all, you know, that's, 
that's my calling. That's what it was. That's what I wanted to do. So very happy that I'm yeah. here. Where'd you go to school? Uh, around here or, or for your, your degree? Uh, it was uh, Palomar actually. For... <laughs> nice! Shout out to Palomar College. <laughs> that must have had a great program that they you... did. They did. They did. It's they don't now have that defunct, program. but wow. yeah, I don't know. They just it wasn't a big uh, it wasn't a big calling. Parks and Recreation mm-hmm. Management, but I thought it was a great program. Yeah. What's been like the most cool thing? I guess I'm asking too many questions about Green Ranger, but I, I just, I'm so, like, I love, I love what you're doing and I um, have a lot of respect. What was it like the coolest thing you learned when you started to become a Ranger, either here or? For me, it's, uh, and it's gonna sound cheesy, it's the interconnectedness of everything around mm-hmm. us. It's the, it's the ability for me being out here on a day to day basis, I, th- I see things that so many people, you know, glance by or miss. All these just little nuances of, you know, it's a, it's a small plant that's coming up that I've never mm. seen or, you know, that I've been here. It, so I, the surprise of my day, you know, day in and day out, what, what the day is going to bring and what I'm going to be, you know, taken aback by next oh, wow. is, is, is kind of my driving force because it is, it's really, it is really unique. And I always think it's, sometimes I get very blasé and I just go out and do the same thing, <laughs> you know, but then I see something I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my God. You know, I never noticed that before. That's never happened. And, the, and just the interconnectedness of everything that's around. It's a living, it's a real opportunity to, to work in a living and breathing organism. Absolutely. You know, you're I mean, in it. You're, you're, you're just, and you're only a small piece of it. And that's, that's, the, that's the big lesson I always take out of it. I always feel so small working here because it's such a grand scale. And I'm just like, none of this stuff. You know, I always say none of the stuff I'm doing really matters. I mean, it does in essence, but you know, when I feel so insignificant to everything else around me, it's just, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a feeling. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's, that's it, not it, cheesy it really at is. all. That's, that's super <laughs> cool. So I just, the personality of a trail advocate, and I hope that I am, you know, effective or one of those people is that I'm really patient and I, and mm-hmm. I, and for me, is maybe it comes from mountain biking with my kids or working, you know, with getting so many people into the sport or, um, you know, working with the high school race teams or whatever. Like I see the vision of, of mountain biking being a, a pastime that a lot of people can enjoy. And if those of us that are advocates don't work on this stuff now, like Mm. stuff's even worse in 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years, like, these plans, like the plans that we have been working on for a long time that call for new trails and new single track trails, even here in San Diego, you know, I might, I might not get to ride them. I mean, yeah, I have my new e-bike sitting here, but like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I might not get to ride them or I might not get to ride. I might not be able to jump at a bike park that gets built in, you know, I don't know, years from now. Right. I'm going to maybe be too old, but, that's, but um, you know, I don't really care about that. I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it for me. And I think that's the common thread of so many of us, anybody that advocates for anything, right? You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your kids, for your grandkids, for, you know, your neighbors, for, you know, I work for people. I live in Chula Vista. I want stuff for people in Carlsbad. I want stuff for people that live in Pine Valley. I want stuff for people that live, um, you know, uh, in Rancho Bernardo. Like I don't, I'm, I, I like to think that I'm here to help as much as I can, and it's not about me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but to be able to now be involved in the community that I grew up in, right. to That's... know that Sprott Kids and, and where Sean envisions the organization moving is to, you always say, get more kids on bikes. And that means like every corner of San Diego County and to find spaces with trails and, and bring kids out and offer the programs that Sprott Kids have developed because we know and everybody that cycles in, in any kind of discipline of cycling understands what that community means, what it feels like to be on a bicycle, the freedom, the places it takes you and the confidence that it can build. And that's what I wanna to bring to every, like all the young people that want to try. Yeah. My next local legend guests are the men who ride and race. These local legends are Pete Thole, Chris Horner, Phil Tinsman, Brian Scarborough, Lauren Lentz with Lentz Legacy, and Michael McCray. And you kind of just get thrown into the fire right off the bat. Yeah, that's impressive. So you're racing for the Swami's team. Yeah, yeah. And what do you contribute to you going up the ranks that fast? Um, I don't know. First thing was in the uh, criterions was how to figure out how to hold your position. Because so back in those days, there wasn't a cat five. You started as a cat four. And pretty much every race you would do, the fields were full. They, in fact, they would have a younger cat four and an older cat four. And they would have 150 guys in each field. <clears throat> and so even if you were fairly fit and pretty strong, if you sat on the front for, you know, 10 or 15 laps, then it comes down to the field sprint you're toast, you get roasted. So you have to figure out how to hold your position and, and, and save matches, you know, which is a roadie thing. Yeah. It's not like mountain biking. You can, I mean, in the road, you can not be as fit, but be smarter about saving matches and then being an, an opportunist. Um, uh, I'd say cross country mountain biking, your fitness gets exposed right off the bat. Yeah. You know? Um, very little drafting. It's just carry momentum and, and, you know, be able to turn the pedals over. So when you were doing all the racing in the beginning, getting yourself faster and getting yourself smarter, how did you learn, pick up these, these tricks? Like, was it from people? Were there any people that influenced you on how to race um, better? Yeah, I'd say basically trial and error. You go, wow, <laughs> I just spent all this energy and I, I'm like pretty strong on the local training rides and yeah. the group rides. Then I come into the race and I'm getting like, you know, 15th or 20th or 25th. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of figure it out. It's like, okay, I got to figure out how to sit in and hide, mm -hmm. but still hold your position, you know, in 150 guys, it's not easy. And you have to get comfortable being close mm -hmm. and a little bumping and, and, you know, cat fours and stuff aren't the best bike handlers because everybody's just learning. Uh, but you figure it out, <laughs> you know, you do, you have to. Anyways, and so I call up my boss and I say, hey, thanks, but I'm not interested in doing any more construction. Yes, you took a leap. I took a leap. I went back to work at the bike shop, mm -hmm. um, part-time, full-time, part-time, on and off all the time. It was <laughs> however it would work out, however you could pay the bills, basically. And so the first bike race we're doing at USD Grand Prix, mm -hmm. and I'm there with with your boy Pete Thole. Awesome. So we're riding to the, we're riding down the 
bike trail over to USD so we could do the race there. And it had been a winter where the Swamis, now I was riding for Swamis, and so it had been a winter where all of us were really focused and training. It was a, it was a club team, but all of us wanted to be pro. Yeah. I'm riding with a bunch of guys. Uh, Pete's about nine, ten years older than me, so I'm 20, 29, give or take. And all the other guys are about 29, 30-ish or something like that. So they're all kind of taking me under their wing. Uh, it's Pete Thole, it's Rich Meeker, Todd Bryden, uh, you know, the whole crew there at Swamis. And we're riding to the start, and, and Pete Thole's like, this will be interesting to see now, like, who's <laughs> actually really good. First day I crashed, but the second day I went. And I won in a break of, there's five of us and there's two Sheriff, uh, Chevrolet LA Sheriff riders, which was the big local pro team at the time. Um, and, I, and so I took all the preems and won the race. And so from that moment on, you start thinking like, oh, maybe this will work out. But even then I'm only thinking domestic style. You're never thinking over in Europe, you're just thinking domestic. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 1996 that I'm doing Super Week there's a French director, Lan Gallopin, and he's there training. He's, he's there helping Lars Michelson, who's a top pro over in Europe, get ready for the 96 Olympics, which were in Atlanta. And so I'm up the road solo in one of these crits, and that guy comes up to me, I drop him. Another guy comes up, I drop him. Another guy comes up, I drop him. Throughout the whole crit, I'm off the front for three-fourths of it I get caught then I get back off the front and I don't know I finished fourth or something like that and then he comes up to the van afterwards and says hey I'm Alain Gallopin I'm putting together a French team next year with the Mark Matteo brothers I'm interested in you but I can't understand a word he's saying <laughs> like I can't understand anything he's, he's speaking broken English right he's French fully 100% French and he's speaking English, but I can't under, I can't even make out how he pronounces his name. I'm having the hardest problem. What? Huh? What? I mean, if you guys, anybody that watches my YouTube channel knows I can't pronounce the name to save my life. So, so I'm having the hardest problem. Finally, he says, go find Lars Michelson and chat with him. Yeah, so I started racing mountain bikes. Uh, trying to think. I think it was, I was junior high even. I started um, probably around 14 ish. I came out of race, racing BMX and all that stuff. And I was skating and actually my dad got my mom a mountain bike for her birthday so that she could get in shape. And then he got one. I, <laughs> and then I'd hop on his during the summer. And, but then I always bent his wheels and <laughs> bent his handlebars and things. So finally I, I earned half half of it my dad paid half okay <laughs> went and got a diamondback hard a diamondback apex hardtail and yeah started racing that like uh 1989 okay so a long time ago cross country <laughs> and didn't know much about it my dad and i would go to the races in and, phoenix in phoenix okay. yeah so the arizona arizona series um which a lot of the courses are still going, but so anyways, started that. And then when I uh, even raced like 92, I raced junior or I raced world championships as a junior. Okay. So it's like, I've just been racing bikes a long time and I, I still have some of the parts and pieces of the bikes from then. And 
I don't know how we rode them so fast <laughs> compared to what how the bikes ride now. Yeah. Although I feel like it's very good for me that I learned how to ride on such rough equipment. Yeah. <laughs> Even though for the day it was, it was really advanced. good stuff. Yeah. Correct. But um, it really made you learn how to pick lines, carry speed, and you know your fundamentals had to be spot on. Otherwise, you didn't really go anywhere. And how did Kevin's riding evolve? You kind of mentioned going back and forth between mountain biking and road riding. Did he do anything else or, or endurance? Like, what was his main like fun things that he liked to do when he was riding? Like, what was this, or was it all of it? I think all of it, honestly. But I also feel like what you just said too about tasco really heightening your abilities you can't talk about kevin and him being the local legacy without bringing up tasco because tasco really was that pivotal moment mm. where he realized like oh i have skills that other people recognize okay and i you know like i i enjoy racing and i he loved doing all those like little six hour or i remember they did the um what was that the benelli mm -hmm. um ride with jills and jordan and he just he loved those experiences and um being able to get up on the podium and all that kind of stuff and he would challenge himself so i don't know he didn't really <laughs> He, he, it was, I want to say gross. It's gross. He literally could not ride for like two months and then just pop back on and mm -hmm. have the skills. But, um, I think the road was really to keep up the endurance. Mm. And then, um, the, the mountain biking was just the pure love. He mm. just enjoyed being with nature. I remember, I don't know if you were there when they would go to like Mount Laguna and do like camping trips and mm -hmm. he would sleep in the back of his truck and then they would get up and ride early in the morning. But those were like some of his favorite times and his memories. Um, Just do whatever it takes to, to, to race for six hours. A lot of people mentally crack before they physically crack. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that's always been an advantage for me um, that I'm able to, to push push beyond the, the mental and physical limits of myself, I guess you'd say. Um, do you think that's just the way you're programmed or do you, how do you work on that? Um, I, I think that just the way I was raised as, as, like I said earlier, when I was racing BMX, um, even if I was racing local races and I would win, if I stopped pedaling, 50 feet before the finish line, I would get yelled at. So I, even if I was fully going to win, I had no problem to do. So I think even today, that's still in the back of my head from my dad yelling at me back then. <laughs> it's like, you better finish as hard as you can, no matter what place you're in, you have to go all the way to the finish line. So even on days where I'm out there and it's a hundred degrees and I'm fully cracked, I'm cramping. I'm like, okay, well, I'm still going to pedal as hard as I can to finish because you know, what good is it going to do? I don't, right? Yeah, I, I as as a young man in the sport, it seems like you kind of quietly learned a lot just by watching and observing and um, been very introspective. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Doing these races, and that's what's made have uh, doing these races for me so much more of an adventure and and trying to achieve another race or different races. Going somewhere and seeing something that you've never seen. I, I love Absolutely. doing destination races now. I've been able to be lucky enough to do a couple very awesome destination races that 
Um, I don't know if I'll, I'll say that I'll ever be able to go do them again, but the fact that I've done them and seen the scenery and ridden on it, it it's, it's amazing. And I highly recommend if, if you have the capabilities um, of traveling to go to a race, I would definitely suggest trying it because we know how to ride our backyard trails and we know how to ride a lot of stuff in our backyards. But when you just take that little aspect of the unknown and trying something that's out of your comfort zone, you never know what you're going to find. You never know what you're going to see. And there's a whole huge world out there to explore and being on two wheels and being able to smile because you're trying something that you really enjoy uh, as in cycling while also racing. It's a whole nother level. Yeah. So. All right, these next voices are some strong women, Tammy Tabik, Leanne Foles, and McKenna, all sharing a little tidbits about their training and how they got to be as high achieving as they are. I'm just imagining you like with your bikes all over, first all over the US, now traveling the world. Um, and you're 30 now? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I started racing when I was 31. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm actually about 38 at that point. And then 39. When you're traveling the world, I'm assuming that when you left Big Bear and went to National, is you're like, oh, you know, there's this is the quality of you know of competition. And then you go to the world level. Was it a shock, or were you felt like you were well prepared? At that yeah, point? not not a shock because um, really, you know, even locally or in Southern California and NorCal, we have some of the best riders. Okay. And that, right? oh, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. And, so and the word got, you got that word like, oh guys, we are trained. We have really good skills or what was it that made you this? Yeah. So, I mean, there were, there were just a lot of riders before me, um, instrumental individual on, uh, technical skills. Of course, like I shared was Rob Bernhardt, but Kathy Sessler, she was a world champion. She lived up in Temecula. Um, Michelle and I would go up there every week. She taught us how to jump, you oh. know, because I didn't, I wasn't leaving the ground. You know, I always thought the best thing is to keep, keep the wheels on the ground. And Kathy actually had a ramp, you know, we launched off of, and she taught us how to jump. And she taught me how to see, how to see a course. She taught me how you ride. Uh, technically you have to spend all day on your bike training. Yeah. I actually, the first season would work, put my daughter to sleep and ride my rollers. Okay. That's all I did. Wow. It was all my training was done on my, my rollers in the kitchen at like 30 to 10. <laughs> so that's kind of a good segue. And I got it. And we'll, let me just, I'll just go and hopefully I can find my way back. Um, how did you train then with your daughter? I mean, that was something I wanted to talk about. I um, know that you have, your daughter is the same age as one of my daughters in high school now. Um, and I know as a mom, it's tricky. So you would ride after every day or would you like, did you do like 12 hours of riding or how did you do, or you just rode whenever you could? Whenever I, I mean, it was like my neighbors across the street had girls and she would call and say, Hey, can Celeste come over for a play date? You're they like, were younger than Celeste. And she goes, you can go for a ride. And I live next to Calavera. So I do this mommy speed ride through Calavera, you know, and all the moms knew I wanted for a ride. And so they would, Celeste was a great babysitter even when she was little. And 
you just had to squeeze it in. Yep. And a lot was done on the rollers and actually improved my, my pedal mm -hmm. pedaling. Mm -hmm. I'm much more efficient now. Um, after being on the rollers for three years. Yeah. So, do you still do that now? No, I cannot get <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I'm not that desperate. I'm retired. I can, I can go outside whenever I want, but, <laughs> um, I want to go back. I want to talk mm -hmm. more about that, but just talking about your training, how do you do it with school and your day and does it ever get too much or, or are you like, oh, this is, I'm excited. Or do you have to wake up before school to train? Yeah. Some days are actually really stressful. So because <laughs> on days that I have school, I go to school from like 8.30 to like 12.45. Mm -hmm. And so some days I do have to wake up before school because I have I, the cooking now business, which I yeah. asked me about. And then I also have regular work. So oh. I work at a deli <laughs> that starts up that I work every Tuesday or Monday, Wednesdays, Saturday or Sundays. So from two to eight. So if I have a work on like a Monday uh, and training, I wake up at like 5.30 and I'll do my training before school, go to school, and then immediately from school, go to work for six hours and then come home. And I, I really like doing my training in the morning. I try to do it in the morning, even if I don't have anything after school, just because I'm way less stressed if I do it in the morning and I get a better workout in. By the end of the day, I'm tired and yeah. done. Like, I don't want to do this. So I try to do it in the morning. That, I mean, and in some ways, I'm not sure if I'm getting ahead of myself, but in college, if you're racing, mm -hmm. you, I guess that kind of preparing you. Yeah. Is there anybody, in, adults in your life or people kind of helping you, kind of giving you balance, like, mm -hmm. or um, suggestions, or are you just kind of figuring it out? My dad and my trainer, Julie, helped me a lot. I think my dad helps me a lot in the way where it's like, well, you should probably do this in the morning. You should oh, probably have okay. a schedule. You should like do this. You should do this. And I think the schedule helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. And he's also the person that tells me all the time, uh, discipline is freedom. That's his favorite thing to tell me. Okay. And it definitely sticks with me all the time. Cause like now I'll like wake up on mornings and I'll be like, it'll be like six. And I'm like, oh, dang it. I don't want to go ride my mountain bike for two hours right now. Like it's cold. I want to stay in my bed. And then like his just voice like echoes in the back of my head. Discipline is freedom. Like you gotta, like, I may not have the motivation to do this, but I have the discipline. And I think that's something that's really helped me this year. Cause it's cool. Cause I know I want to have a good result this season. And this is what I need to do to have it. These next local legends have a passion for riding and have made it their mission to improve their craft, helping and being part of the cycling community. These local legends are Jim Miller, Brendan Collier, Paul Dunlap, and Jake POV, as well as skills jump coach, Jim Bradford. To see the faces on the kids at the kids' races at Quick and Dirty sometimes, and the parents are out there with them, man. That's such good stuff because that's just pure love, pure just happiness. And you, you see their faces, how excited they're out there doing that stuff, and you get the high five from them. Some of that stuff is as, as good as it gets. There. What about like any like races where people come across and you're like, wow, what happened to you? Oh yeah, we would call that dirt sampling. They come back and they're completely, <laughs> you know, they got they look like they've just been rolling around in the dirt. You know, something went bad for them that day, but that they still got up and finished. And you see that look of accomplishment. It, it happens on virtually every race. There's that person that that they come across in tears because 
you know, they they didn't think they could do it, and here they are. This is a for them. It's a bucket list. It's a lifetime yes. experience, and you're just so excited for them. You feel you feel almost every pedal stroke with them as as they finish like that, yeah. and that sense of accomplishment it is is really really empowering. I I I'm told you earlier that I was talking with Ranger Dave. He was he was a, a recent local legend. Your name came yeah. up. Because okay. I asked him, hey, have you ever done bike packing? Because that never came up in our conversation. He's like, actually, I've done the Stagecoach 400. And I was like, oh, very cool. And he spoke very highly of you, how much you were able to help him prepare. And I'm sure you have helped a lot of people prepare. Uh, And I wanted to ask you, where do you, people who've never bike packed, like, where do you see them? Like, what what advice is a typical advice for people? I mean, I'm sure it's going as light possible but is it um gear is it like just what are the expectations that they see and the ones that they don't see got it um a of all i had so much fun riding with ranger dave and i miss him because i haven't seen him in at least a couple years and we had gosh we had so much fun riding together i would just love to go back in time and have a taste of that again um (laughs) wow so but yeah to answer your question about um that about like the preparation, I really feel it comes to comfort levels okay. of like a few categories. So like, like, A, are you comfortable riding your bike? Um, and, and like, like, do you feel that you've like mastered the ability to like, like, like handle your bike in the terrain that you're going to go on and, you know, fix the most probable things that might happen? Like, are you able to fix a flat tire if, if you're going to have that or, or whatever those things are? So like that's a category in itself that you can like see as a bottleneck. Like some people are like, oh, I'm really good at camping, but I'm not, but like the spike is too technical for me or something. So there's that. And then there's the ability to just be outside and experience the weather changes that you're going to anticipate mm-hmm. um, and how to fuel yourself for those situations. So I actually, with, some people who are new to it, like I kind of try to isolate those things where like sometimes it's good to just even get more hiking experience in. And if you're, <laughs> yeah, like, like just to, just to know, you know, like, Oh, around, you know, dusk, I get chilly and I, and I like to have a beanie hat, but like if you, for instance, become comfortable being outside after dark, you become comfortable sleeping outside after dark, obviously after dark um (laughs) then you can start combining that stuff with the bike and a lot of the stuff is 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 not rocket science like as far as loading the bike there are best practices for that you know you you, and and you learn those things like okay i'm going to put more weight on my rear wheel as if i can and a little bit less on my front wheel if i can etc etc and the more comfortable you are with all of those things the more able you are to carry less weight which then translates to going faster more comfortably with a better handling bike yeah um, so generally i like to start like i've 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 met people who came from like motorcycle touring backgrounds who had vast experience camping but like very little on the bike and it's like well just just ride a bunch and feel really good about the bike that you've picked you okay. know et cetera, et cetera. um and I also like to tell people just to start with the bike they have. You don't need to buy a specialized bike packing bike. Just whatever your bike is, just just start with that one. My um, all three of my children helped with advice and so forth. My middle son Sam created the logo. 
the name came from a trip I took out to Leadville. And on the way back, we were passing all these ranches. And I mean, growing up, I, I followed my sister's lead and rode horses. So I was an English rider for two or three years of my life, learning how to post and then jump, jump over gates and so forth. And then I started riding Western. So that's the whole, whole thing I love is it's not the only music genre I love, but I love old Western music. So Texas swing, early, um, early, what's now called country, but back when the lyrics had meaning and, and heart to them. Anyway, so we're driving past all these ranches, look over at this ranch and there's a big building sitting there. And I go, person asked me, what's, what's that? And I go, that's the ranch house. Well, what's that? And I go, it's where people have their breakfast in the morning and have supper at night. That's a great name. How about Wrench House Cyclery? So came home with that name, asked my son to create the logo. You should have seen the logo I created. Um, drawing is not my <laughs> strong point. I had a mountain with a triathlete going up one side, a road cyclist descending the other side, and a mountain biker screaming coming that on works. this side with a river that went out to a bay with some surfers out, surfing the point out there in the ocean, Pacific Ocean. What I've learned is that a simpler, the simpler the logo, the better. And that's what he told me. So now it has I love it. This, the hammer and sickle on there. And then the back is, there are two yeah, horseshoes on there. Bikes are bikes. Um, and I learned that two wheels are the way to go and not to judge on what type of bike because at different times in my life, it's been a BMX bike, it's been a road bike, it's been a mountain bike, it's been a downhill bike, it's been a free ride bike. I did only dirt jumping on a mountain bike for probably two years. Um, so it's just that thrill of two, two wheels and the discipline changes but it's still a bike and it's still fun. Um, and so I feel like every time you take on a new discipline, it's mm -hmm. figuring out that discipline mm -hmm. and how that bike works. And I just get obsessed with what that bike can do and how to do it and what it can't do. And then try and push it a little mm -hmm. here and there without getting broken too many times. <laughs> I describe probably the closest analog to riding a bike as ballet. Yeah. Right. That can, it, I've best description I've heard of ballet is it's just the art and the endeavor of moving every muscle in your body independently, like some awkward muscle in your shoulder, being able to move that in a very specific way while your ankle and your foot are doing this and your knees are doing that and your hips are doing that and your neck is doing this. So coordinating all those things, what we're doing on a bike is insanely complex and focus and the energy dynamics that are where our, our balance point is on the bike and what we're doing with our hands, our feet and how that's pairing with sensation is incredibly complex. And I try to build it without a lot of contemplation. I do that part mm. <laughs> privately in my own quiet time, kind of contend with what those things are and how I want to present them to different riders. But in function as a coach, I want, the movements to be really simple and broken down into Absolutely. pieces that we can eat and we can digest and say, okay, I want you to do this with your hand and just do that. Just do that with your hand, do that one piece. And it's not as simple as just like, 
building something out of a foundation of one piece and the next piece and the next piece, you also have to have an understanding of how you need to generate that with each writer. All right, so here are my last two final clips. These are from both mic checks. The first one is a conversation with my children. You'll hear my girls talk about how it was um, when I was training and what it meant to them. And then a fun conversation with my husband um, about riding together and training. Waiting, your mom, you know your mom's away training, whatever that means, you know, she's riding bikes or running or climbing mountains. What were you thinking at the time? Was it like frustration? Was it like fantasy? Like, oh, she's doing these like awesome things. Was it like? I think it was just annoyance. <laughs> annoyance and what? Just like, it wasn't even a pinpoint. I think it didn't, I had less to do with my mom's training and more to do with my projected emotions that I didn't know mm -hmm. how to deal with. Because when I think of all that, my me, like my first thought is post my parents splitting. Mm -hmm. And because before then, I don't really remember too much mm -hmm. of like their training. The most I remember is my dad leaving at five in the morning to go swimming all the time. Mm -hmm. But I remember like, and it like, because I can't pinpoint why I was frustrated with her being active but I just had some like no about it and there was no if ands or but about it it was just no were you less frustrated when she was home no like with you so it was just frustration yes just yeah <laughs> I don't think it had anything to do with the training or anything I just do, could not understand it at the time what are you saying do you remember her like like throwing her bike in a car or like putting on running shoes and being like that sounds fun or that looks or I don't think I don't really remember her being gone a lot like when you say like her gone training like mm -hmm. that wasn't that's never been a memory of like oh where's my mom like why are you being taken care of or why are you being watched I just remember more of her almost like inviting us to do whatever she's doing mm. like I I guess I always wondered like oh like what was my mom doing mm -hmm. like like our garage is always full of bikes and stuff <laughs> and random crap that we use for outdoors and stuff. And I think we went, we went camping a few times, I but you, <laughs> but I just feel like our mom just tried to involve us. And when she was gone, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the biggest part at all. Interesting. You're a coach. Yeah. Do you coach Simon? Is he on your, <laughs> is he on your program? I tried to coach him okay. and I fired him. Okay. Yeah. Why'd you get fired? I got fired because I was deemed uncoachable. <laughs> I didn't follow orders. You didn't. I, I like my riding to be a bit more happy-go-lucky, and uh, I want to wake up and see what my legs want to do. Organic, unstructured. That's not how the training process works. Right. That's um, what I understand. Coaches, they yeah, want you on this yeah, strict schedule. I know. All of these things in a very regimented way, and to, 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 after after work to go spend an hour doing over unders. No. <laughs> okay. So. I got fired pretty quick. Yeah, I don't have that much time. Like my the clients thing, the take thing, a lot the, of the energy. The thing was, yeah. So I, I was, I was taking a lot of cheese energy and time, and I recognized that she had a full plate with her family, her work at the time, because you were working at Intuit. Still, yeah. Or oh, still okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was someone that she she squeezed in because I wasn't paying her. Um, <laughs> family. Um, he yeah, rolled yeah, his I eyes. Was, yeah, I, I wasn't paying her. Um, <laughs> uh, and 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 when I didn't do the workouts, she she would get she would get pretty mad. Okay. Um, and, then, and then I felt I, I had to do the workouts to appease Chi, not because I wanted to. And that's when I fired. And, and then I got fired. Oh my God, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. now back to. We have had rides that have gone really well, and we've had rides that have gone really badly. Okay. And um, the rides that have gone badly, I, I 
think we've learned I've, from. I've, I've certainly learned from them. <laughs> and, and and now almost we we have this um, grand rule discussion at the beginning of rides yes. that we do together with groups. Like, is this a ride where we're yes. going to ride together and I'm going to know exactly where you are after this entire ride because we're with people we don't know, riding in a place we're not familiar with? Or is this in our backyard with a group of guys that we know and I can go to the front and go see the bottom? Yeah. Out like, the end. A good example is a holiday ride. Okay. Your courier, where you know, you yeah. know how big they get, you know how fast they go off the front. Spicy, yeah. Yes, I'll say, babe, kick some ass. I don't want to see you. Go for it. See the coffee. Save now. me some coffee. Save yeah. me co it's coffee. Save me a beer too. <laughs> I'll see you at the end. Okay. I'm happy. He's happy. We share a story. Sure. So when we understand each other from the beginning, it does help. Thank you guys all so much for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation. Looking back um, from episode one until. Um, now episode 21. It's been a fantastic year. And thank you guys for supporting me and for listening and letting me be part of your day. And have a wonderful holiday and new episodes are coming around the corner. Hey guys, so if you do any gravel racing or have some big goals this year, check out Gravel and Wine. It's coming up January 28th. There's a long version, which is 75 miles and a shorter version around 40 miles. And there are payouts, so you can win some fun stuff. So the different categories are male and female, non-binary, and paracycling. Um, this race I did last year was so fun. Great way to kick off the season. And the food was delicious, followed by some tasty wine. And if you're not a wine drinker, there is beer from Roulaire, so bonus there. You'll see all of your favorite friends there, the people that you normally ride with. Also, it brings out lots of different levels of riding, racing, so you'll see some professionals as well. So very high-level racing, um, all supported. And again, you will get delicious food at the end and delicious wine. Um, check it out. It's called thegravelandwine.com, and the wine is spelled W-H-I-N-E. And for a discount, put in friends with an S, followed by 20. So friends 20 for a discount code. See you at Gravel and Wine.